to Totalus Rankium. This week, Balans. And welcome to Roman Emperors Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all the emperors from Augustus to Augustus. And this is episode 65. We're doing Valentinian's brother, Balans. Ooh, yes. Heard about him last week. Yes. Yes, you did. But the, the story cut off. You, you refuse to talk about him. Yeah. To decide whether, oh, does he outlive his brother or. Ooh. Or what? What do you think? I think yes. Why? I've heard of Valens. One of our mutual friends, who's a big Roman emperor buff, um, who obviously went to university instead of the Romans, so he knows what he's talking about. We were in a situation once where we were, us three were talking about the Romans, and he mentioned the name Valens. Oh, as did he? Perhaps one of the reasons for the fall of the Rome in the West, or something that encouraged it or ex- exacerbated it, perhaps. Oh, you know what? I think I remember the conversation you were talking about. That that was almost two years ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. I'm impressed you remembered something. Well, I, I don't want to give it away, but yeah, you'll see why you think that before the end. Well, of course, told it. I don't think I was remembering. <laughs> okay, you'll see why you remember that. Okay, brilliant. Okay, good. Okay, so Valens, let's go to his birth. He was born in 328. He's the younger brother of Valentinian, as we've said, and the son of Gratian, Daddy G, yeah. and Marina the Mermaid. We covered the story of Daddy G last week, so we're not going to go into that again. However, the main difference is that Valentinian went off into the army to follow his father's footsteps. Yes. Whereas uh, Valens did not. No. No. He stayed at home. He didn't really do much for the first 30-odd years of his life. Tax-dodging layabout. Yeah, well, he was a member of the Roman elite, so of course he was tax-dodging. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe he was doing lots of interesting stuff. Maybe he was an artist. Maybe he did a lot of community work. Let's say he did. Yeah, I've got no idea. We do know, however... Equal rights. What, for mermaids? Yeah. Yeah. We do know, however, he got married to a woman named Albia. So we don't know what he was up to, really, but we do know that in the 360s, for whatever reason, he finally decided to join the army. So he's in his (laughs) 30s at this point. He follows Julian into Persia. I say okay. he follows, as in he was part of the army. He wasn't just following behind. <laughs> wait up, wait for me. Julian! <laughs> yeah. So, he's in the army. He's in Persia. Valens here gets some first-hand experience of nearly dying in a desert. Ooh, brilliant. That's <laughs> what we all need. <laughs> and then headed back under Jovian. As covered already, Jovian did not last long, and after a period of debate, possibly much to the surprise of Valens, his brother was suddenly declared emperor. Hey. And as covered last week, after being given some wise advice from his advisers to choose a man on merit, not just a relative, <laughs> Valentinian promptly elevates his brother to the purple, Brilliant. and declares this to his troops in front of the walls of Constantinople. He's had a pretty... apart from was dying in a desert, he's had quite an easy life. Yeah, and we're already there. He's now the emperor. Very swift oh, beginnings. Fast. We don't know much about his beginnings. So there we go. Venons is now emperor. Hooray. And if you remember last week, this is when the two brothers become ill. Uh, you, oh, you told me one becomes ill. Valentinian got ill. Oh, that was later on. Oh. Yes, if you remember, we, I briefly mentioned the two of them got ill together in Constantinople. We oh. decided it was a hangover. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> However, I've looked into it a bit more. <laughs> 
and I will quote Ammianus here. Both emperors were seized with violent and lingering fevers. I'm still thinking hangover. Yeah. But as soon as their hope of life was assured, they commissioned a chief marshal of the court, a rough Dalmatian, to make a strict investigation of what they suspected to be the cause of these diseases. Persistent rumour had it that they had been harmed by a black magic <gasps> to rouse hatred of the memory of the Emperor Julian and his friends. So they're coming up with any excuse to prove it's not a hangover. Yeah. They went through the dodgy pint. Went yeah. for the dodgy kebab. Now it's just no one's yeah. definitely black magic. No, yeah, which is what I'm going to try next time I get a hangover. <laughs> why? Why are you so ill? Oh, it must be black magic. <laughs> it's but the you... only option. <laughs> Can't possibly be on the drink. <laughs> right, the two brothers recover from their bout of black magic slash hangover, and they head off to Sirmian and they decide to carve up the empire. Mm. Like we discussed, this is where Valentinian perhaps surprisingly opted for the west and gave yeah. the east to Valence. <gasps> and this is where we headed off with Valentinian last week after a wonderful story of bears and despair. Oh, they were great. Yes. This week, we follow Valence. Does he get bears? I'm not giving any bears stories away. But okay. Don't get your hopes up. Oh. I'm going to say that there's a very little chance of bears. Sorry. But there might be other fun things. We'll find True. out. Yeah. So, Valens heads back to Constantinople and was in the capital by 364. He had one thing to do, and that is to make the best out of the humiliating deal that Jovian was forced to accept. Oh, with the Persians. With the Persians, yes. Yeah. Rome had lost a lot of territory and was also forced to agree not to interfere with Armenia, if you remember. Yes. Knowing that he would have to head east and make his presence known in Syria to ensure that the area didn't crumble completely, he raised some troops and heads off to Antioch. Really? Partway there, he receives reports that the Goths were causing trouble back in the Danube region. It's Dan Goths again. Yes. Never happy, are they? Not wishing to get distracted, however, he orders that two legions under him heads back and sorts out the barbarians while he carries on into the east. No, he, he can't deal with this right now. Yeah. He's got the Persians to deal with. Fair enough. Picks two legions, go and sort the Goths out, and then come back as quick as you can. Bring some heads. <laughs> yes. But he didn't get very far. Oh. Because by the time he reached the Cappadocian Mountains, he receives another letter. Procopius has declared himself emperor and holds Constantinople. Oh, yes, you mentioned this. Yes, I did mention this last week. Now, Procopius, if you remember, is the last Constantinian. Yes. Like the second cousin twice removed. On Const the mother's side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once looked after the cat, kind of, <laughs> Constantinian. But he is. He's technically next in line. And Procopius is not happy about Valens on the throne. No. So let's backtrack slightly and catch up with Procopius. We get two versions of Procopius's story, one from Zosimus and one from Ammianus. Okay. So, just a word of warning here to listeners and you, this is the following is a sort of mashup of both their stories to try and make them both fit. Okay. I've essentially cherry-picked the bits I like out of both stories and put them together. I like that. Like a true historian should. Yeah. <laughs> Look this objectivity rubbish. Right. So if you want more objectivity, go and read the sources yourself. What sources are you using at the moment? Zosimus and Ammianus okay. at the moment. So, we start with Zosimus's account here, and we go way back to when Julian was setting off into Persia. <laughs> Idiot. 
<laughs> well, this was when the plan was looking good. Remember, he selected his maternal cousin, Procopius, to lead the decoy army to distract yeah. Shaopur. He set him up with all the cardboard cutouts. All he had to do was go to the Tigris and distract Shaopur, whilst Julian sneaks through the back door. Yeah. Now, according to Zosimus, Julian pulls Procopius to one side at this point and presented him with a gift. Ooh. A purple cloak. Ooh. Not just to set off his eyes. There was a reason for this. It was to let Procopius know that should anything happen to me, you, Procopius, will be the next emperor. <sighs> Have the cloak of purpleness. Nice. Or at least this is the story that Procopius pushes later on, anyway. Of course. Yes, no one actually saw this happen. Oh, of course not. No, no, but it definitely happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Procopius then sets off with his 30,000 men and 60,000 cardboard cutouts, <laughs> heads towards the Tigris, and Julian goes down the Euphrates to his death. Yeah. Procopius spends a while running around Persia, being distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Look over here! Bright colours. I'm over here, I'm over here! <laughs> Shapo, 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 Shapo! Oh no, he's gone, he's gone. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> he generally does a good job at running the decoy army. Yeah. But soon enough, news comes through to Shapur, that he was fighting the wrong army. Shapur heads towards Julian. Ooh. Procopius doesn't meet up with the main force until after Julian's dead and Jovian has surrendered. Okay. According to Zosimus, Procopius immediately delivered up the imperial robe which he had received from Julian, confessing why it had been given to him and entreating the emperor to absolve him from his military oath and to allow him to live in retirement. Don't believe him for a second. You don't believe Procopius? No. Well, I think this was him just trying to reassure Jovian he wasn't about to stage a coup. No, fair enough. Yeah. Just, just let me retire. I don't want to be emperor. You can be emperor. That's fine. Jovian lets him go. And Procopius takes the ashes of Julian with him, delivers them to Tarsus, and then retires to his estate. Of course. But it's not long before Valentinian and Valens become joint emperors. And by that time, the rumour of the Purple Cloak and Procopius being the rightful heir has spread. Valentinian realises he has to get rid of this pretender before the situation escalates. So, he sends men out to fetch Procopius, and they soon find him at his home. Procopius... Well, Proco according to Zosimus, Procopius was just sitting at home waiting for them. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, in a really cool way, or just in a... Let's say a cool way, yeah. Chair spins round on the end of the room. I've been expecting you... Stroking a carrot. Maybe he was doing that. Who knows? Who knows? We, we... Anyway, the fact is that Valentinian's men reach Procopius' estate quite quickly, and they find him there. Procopius realises that his number was up. He welcomes the soldiers in and asks for some time to say goodbye to his children and offers the men some refreshments while they wait. Oh, dear. After all, it, surely they had come a long way. It's a hot day. Some wine, gentlemen, while you wait. What are you pouring into the wine? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> Little bit of wine. No, no, the wine was perfectly fine. Okay. He had a bit of wine as well. Definitely no poison in it. All right. But these are soldiers, and when soldiers are offered wine... Hell yeah. <laughs> it was not long before they were good and drunk. So the moment that they were slurring their words... Hello, Emperor. <laughs> Procopius sneaks out the back with his family, and they went on the run. Oh, that's brilliant. Reminds me of the story of um, in the, the Tower of London, there was a guy that was captured. He died eventually because he fell. Um, 
he he you just he ordered cause he, he was quite a, a well-off prisoner so he could order whatever he wanted he ordered like four barrels of wine which is like a like, hundred bottles and he just started <laughs> drinking with all the guards coming in nice and he he just escaped out the window one night unfortunately he fell mm. and um when they found his body in the morning they saw it didn't have a head and it's like where's his head gone that's really weird but it actually impacted into his chest when he landed head first onto the ground that's a brilliant story. It is. They tell it to the children at the Tower of London. That's amazing. Well, let's say that happened to Procopius only without him dying. Okay. Yeah. So he jumped out the window. Yeah. But he just got a bump on his head. Or he landed on his child. Oh. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Either way, however he escapes, he does escape. The soldiers are left hungover and embarrassed. <laughs> oh, no. So that's mostly from Zosimus. I'm now going to switch to Amiamus's version. Okay. So Procopius then spends a while in hiding. Amiamus doesn't mention any of the previous stuff. So Procopius spends a while hiding, living in remote places. At one point, living like, and I quote, a wild beast. Like a bear. Like a bear. Yes. (laughs) Until he finally manages to get to Chalcedon. Now, Chalcedon, in case you don't know, is a city that is a stone's throw from Constantinople. Okay. It's actually part, it's a, it's a suburb of Istanbul right now. So, All right. Yeah, Constantinople eventually grows and just swallows Chalcedon up. But at this point, Chalcedon's its own separate city just across the water from Constantinople. So he's gone close to the capital here. Now, from here, Procopius spends a while nipping back and forwards from the capital, trying to just get a sense of what's going on. He discovers four things. Number one, Valentinian and Valens have split the empire, and now Valens controlled the east. Number two, Valens has returned to the east and was now travelling to Antioch. Number three, the general mood in Constantinople was very anti-Valens. No one really knew him. He wasn't a member of the royal family, and everyone Everyone despised his father-in-law, who had just been promoted to the Praetorian Prefect. Ah. His name was Petronius. Good name. And he's described by Ammianus as a man ugly in spirit and appearance, who condemned guilty and innocent alike after exquisite tortures, looking up debts going back to the time of Emperor Aurelian. Ooh. So, yeah, he was happily rifling through the... <laughs> the debt box. <laughs> I can see your great 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 grandfather stole threepence from the market. <laughs> Behead him. Yeah, not great. So, no one's really liking Valens much. Mm. And finally, number four, there's been some problems in the Danube region with some Goths, and Valens had sent two legions, if you remember, yeah. to the Danube to sort this out. And they had just stopped in Constantinople on the way. So Constantinople now has two legions in it. Ooh. With no leader. Ooh. He's going to offer himself, isn't he? Oh, yes. <laughs> Procopius sees his chance. He knew that the emperors would never stop hunting him. So he might as well just try a little coup. It's either that or die eventually. So, so he just goes for it. He sends word to the legions that he was there and he set up a meeting with them. And I will quote again. He was received by the throng of venal soldiers and treated indeed with honour, although he seemed in a way to be held a prisoner. For just as once before, after the death of Persinax, the Praetorians took up Didius Julianus. Oh dear. <laughs> we'll remember that. Yes, we all know how well good old Julianus Bless him. Yeah, so you get the impression that things are very quickly escalate and just 
get out of hand. Procopius is no longer leading the show. You can hear the war drums now. <laughs> Civil war drums. It's not long before the soldiers push him in front of the rest of the troops. And I'll quote again. Because a purple robe could not be found, he was dressed in a gold-embroidered tunic, like an attendant at court. But from foot to waist, he looked like a page in the service of the palace. <laughs> he wore purple shoes on his feet and bore a lance and a small piece of purple cloth in his left hand. He must look ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Purple shoes and God, it's going to clash. Yeah, well, as Amiena says... He was raised in this laughable manner. <laughs> they could yeah. not find clothes befitting an emperor, so they literally scrabbled around for anything purple-looking, to the point where they just gave him a scrap of purple material to hold in his hand. Oh, dear. Yeah. I've got lavender. <laughs> I don't think at all. Yeah, it's not looking good. Procopius was brought forward to the people of Constantinople. Ammianus would have us believe, but no one cheered or booed. Everyone was just a bit confused. Yeah. I don't believe this. I think everyone just went, <laughs> you're an idiot. But who knows? <laughs> yeah. Procopius steps up onto the podium, now in front of the citizens of Constantinople. How embarrassing. Things would be standing there going, like, I can't watch this, but I really have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do get the impression it's not stepping up, more kind of being pushed up. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> by the soldiers who now think that this coup is an amazingly funny idea. <laughs> and Procopius is starting to think, what have I done? <laughs> oh, dear. I like to think the descendants of the two friends of Julianus are now in the crowd. Yes. <laughs> Go on, pro! Go on! Oh, this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> Here, hold this! <laughs> With a scrap of purple underwear, hold this! <laughs> hold my purple pants, way. <laughs> yes. Right, I will quote Amianus again. Procopius stepped up onto the podium. A trembling which pervaded all his limbs hindered his speaking. He stood for a long time without word. Finally, he began with a broken and dying utterance to say a little, justifying his actions by his relationship with the imperial family. That's just really awkward, isn't it? It did sound like it was the worst speech in the yeah. world. Uh, 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 hello? 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 I, I'm, I'm related to Constantine. J Julian? Uh, sort of. It's, uh, it's, it's quite hard to explain. I'd need the family tree to prove it. Oh. Um, <laughs> will you support... Me. Eventually, some hired men start to cheer and clap. Excellent. Kind of a teacher clap, I think. <laughs> slow clap. Yeah, one of those really loud slow claps at the back with a meaningful stare at everyone else. Yeah, yeah. one of those. It's like, come on, everyone, clap the emperor. He's trying his best. <laughs> so eventually, everyone joins in, and Procopius was indeed declared emperor. <laughs> well done. So now we've caught up. We'll go back to Valens and see what he's up to. Usually in a story like this, you've got someone looking like a fool and the other person looking really strong. But no, because Valens really does not take this news well at all. He was terrified. <laughs> yes. I was, I was half drawing an angry face. <laughs> no, no. He, he suggests to his advisors that he abdicates. Really? Yes. They pointed out that this wouldn't look too good if he does that. So instead, he suggests that he commits suicide. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but realises that that also, I mean, the optics on that's also not great, is it? No. 
So, after some reassurances from his advisors, it's like, seriously, Procopius is a fool. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> Watch this recording. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Look at this on YouTube. Eventually, it's decided that he will tackle the problem head on. On his way back to the capital, he received some bad news, however. His brother was not coming to help them. You remember, Valentinian was convinced that leave it it to Valens, this is not your fight. Because he had other things to try and do. He had other things to do, exactly. So Valens now realises that he's got to do this and he's got to do it all on his own. Also, more bad news, Procopius has managed to take Thrace and Asiana. How? Well, Procopius might be a bit out of his depth, but he's being supported by those two legions. Fair enough. You get the impression it's actually whoever's in charge of those two legions is pulling the strings now. Jeff. <laughs> oh, maybe Jeff. Oh, no, he's too young in this one because he died, didn't he? Maybe it's Jeff's brother, Jeff. Oh, could be. Yeah. Valens finally reaches the capital, but decides to take on Chalcedon first. However, he meets stiffer resistance from this satellite city than he thought he would. They'd closed their doors and shouted insults at him. That's not resistance. Such as... Quick, lock the door. Beer swiller. Ooh. Harsh words. Burn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you remember, I mean, no one drank beer back then. You drank wine. That's true. So I guess he seems a bit of a brute. Yeah, exactly. A bit of an Egyptian. Yes. <laughs> they love their beer. They did. Yeah. So Valen's not too happy. After a brief siege, he realised that he wasn't actually prepared for this and decides that he's going to have to retreat and regroup. Oh, dear. However, as he was packing up all his gear, the gates suddenly opened. Valens probably looked up, hope burning in his eyes. <laughs> Chalcedon has surrendered. They've sent envoys out to meet him. But no. Nope. <laughs> no, these envoys had swords. <laughs> oh, and, and there's 20,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Too many envoys. <laughs> Valens was attacked. He was not ready to defend himself and had to beat a hasty retreat. Many of his men die. Oh dear. By this point you get the feeling that after a very shaky start, Procopius is finding his feet a bit more. Yeah. He's starting to feel a bit more confident. He manages to take Bithynia as well, and Valens is pushed back even further. Procopius then goes from strength to strength. He's steadily taking regions around Constantinople. City after city is falling to him. Valens, on the other hand, was losing men... Hand over feet, is that the saying? Hand over foot, yeah. Hand over foot. Lots of men he's losing. Yeah. Yeah. So Procopius, by this point, is pulling out all the stops. He's even travelling around with Constantius II's daughter and widow. Ooh. To highlight the fact that he is actually part of the real royal family. Oh dear. And we don't know how much he was getting to know Constantius II's widow. Oh, I think a lot. But apparently he was literally holding Constantius II's daughter in his arms when they were going into battle. Oh. (laughs) Human shield. (laughs) Maybe a human shield. (laughs) Yes. So, at this point, you can really get a sense that Procopius is being seen as the legitimate heir, and Valens is being seen as a usurper. Oh. However... Valens has one last gamble, and he plays it fantastically. Ooh. He writes a letter to the ex-consul, Arbicio, Arbicio, who was a very popular general under Constantius II. Okay. Now, Arbicio has very little difficulty convincing the troops that if they like Constantius, then they should follow him rather than Constantius's widow and daughter. After all, they're women. 
I'm a general. <laughs> and the misogyny of the Romans won the day. <laughs> so popular was Arbicio that one of Procopius's generals deserts him and brings to Valentinian a whole host of men. Buoyed by this turn of the tide, Valens then heads off to face Procopius in battle. The two sides meet. Procopius had the numbers and starts well. But suddenly, before the fighting had really began in earnest, several of Procopius's legions suddenly defect en masse to Valens. Ooh. Neither Ammianus or Zosimus fully explain why this happened, but you get the impression that, that there were some backroom deals going on before the battle. Possibly. Between the general Arbicio and uh, several other of the generals. Because I'm guessing to start with, Valens was questioning, it's like, all this, these big piles of gold you're bringing to battle Arbicio, they're not going to protect anyone. <laughs> yeah. Saying, well, leave it to me. Copious questioning his men. They're nice banners, but why, when you turn them round, uh, uh, it just looks suspiciously like Valen's banners on the other side. It's, it's the big purple V. Yeah, I, it might get confusing in the battle. It, people might think you're fighting for him. Yeah. So they'll draw their swords. <laughs> oh. Oh, I see. <laughs> Excuse me. Just like that, Procopius loses. <laughs> All the momentum was with him throughout this uprising, and suddenly just one general comes in, essentially says to everyone, come on now. <laughs> and everyone turns on mass. Wow. Procopius runs, but does not get far. A couple of towns over, Valens catches him up. And Ammianus gives a vivid account here. The moon, brightly shining from its evening rise until dawn, increased the fear of Procopius. And since on all sides the opportunity for escape was cut off, and he was completely at a loss, he began, as is usual in extreme necessity, to rail at fortune as cruel and oppressive. And so, overwhelmed as he was by many anxieties, he was suddenly tightly bound by his companions, and at daybreak he was taken to the camp and handed over to the emperor, silent and terror-stricken. Still holding his purple cloth. <laughs> yes, but it's mine! <laughs> he was at once beheaded. Oh. The revolt was put down. Yeah, you're right. That's so much momentum there. And then just one person. Maybe it was because he was still actually fighting mostly with cardboard soldiers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He never disbanded his cardboard troops. Yeah. Attack! <laughs> the, the thing is, though, with this, even though he lost, he looks better than Valens. Valens doesn't come out of it very well, does he? Not at all, no. Well, let's see what carries on with Valens, shall we? He heads into Constantinople to sort things out. Mostly the capital was easy to settle, but there's some bad news. Those Goths that he'd sent those two legions to sort out... Oh dear. ...were running amok. Yay! Mainly because those two legions had revolted and he'd just killed them. Uh, oh, yes, of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so no one actually ended up going to sort the Goths out. Oh dear. Surveillance, realising the East is just going to have to wait at this point, heads into the Danube region. These particular Goths were currently under the leadership of the Gothic king Athanaric. Athanaric. In 367, Valens marched across the Danube and sought to stamp out the Goths. <laughs> However, there was a slight problem. Athanaric wasn't stupid. Damn it! <laughs> it was working so well! <laughs> it's my entire battle strategy gone! <laughs> Athanaric realises that he was, there's just no way he can beat the Romans in open battle, so he doesn't face the Romans in open battle. Or does he do like hiding by trees and. Yes, exactly. Like the Ewoks from Star Wars. Just like the Ewoks in Star Wars. Brilliant. That's what this is like. 
all the Romans running around in their full armour and uh, just occasionally being hit by a stone and they just fall down dead. dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Athanaric leads his Goths into the mountainous regions nearby. Valens attempts to track them down, but soon runs out of campaigning season. Muttering that he would be back next year. <laughs> Valens leaves. What? <laughs> See you next year, guys. Yeah, I'll Same be back. Time. I'll be back for you, you pesky goths. Why I order? <laughs> However, that was a problem. In the spring of next year, the Danube flooded so much that they were unable to cross all summer. Oh dear. Which I've I've read, and I know this story, this period, relatively well, and I've always just heard that, and not thought about it much. No. But I must admit, doing my research, I did think what. All summer. Okay, the the river's flooded, but you've got thousands of men. Could you really not cross? They built yeah, they built bridges before. They can build boats. They can. Yeah, you don't need to build a bridge. Just ferry everyone across, surely. Uh, well, I thought about this. I, I I found a quote. The the quote that we get this from. He was prevented by extensive floods on the Danube and remained inactive near a village of the Carpi, impermanent camp which he had made until the end of autumn. So that's where we get this information from. We don't know why he didn't try and cross the river, apart from the fact that it flooded. It can be bothered. So for an entire year, he does nothing. The next year, he does build a bridge of boats and again attempts to track down Athanaric, but was unable to do so. <laughs> Athanaric is happily hiding in caves up a mountain somewhere. However, by this point, the sides were getting worn out. Valens really needs to get to the east at this point, for reasons that we'll go into in a moment. However, his mere presence in the region was actually working against the Goths. Okay. The Gothic people could not trade. All commerce was cut off. Oh, yeah. yeah. So maybe this is why he spent a year not trying too much. Maybe he realised just the economic damage he was doing was enough. Mm. So the Goths realised they could not keep this up. Yeah, they can avoid being defeated in battle, but they will be destroyed eventually. <laughs> Starve. Yeah. So it's decided that a peace would be best for all. Yeah. Right, let's just sort this out. However, there was a problem. Valens obviously could not go to Athenaric no. to sign a peace treaty. He was the Emperor of Rome. He could not be summoned to a barbarian chieftain. True. Unfortunately, Athenaric had made an oath in his youth never to set foot on Roman soil. So, obviously, he can't go to Valens. No. But they're, they're invading Roman places, so he's broken his sort of... Interestingly, and this is in my notes, <laughs> and this is, again, one of those things that I've heard before but never questioned, but I did when doing the research, they've been raiding Roman territory. And, in fact, later on in his life, he settles in Rome. Ah, wimp. So this is quite clearly just an excuse at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't. I promised. Yeah. What about that time you were raiding last year? Doesn't count. Uh, I hopped. <laughs> I was wearing shoes and my feet weren't actually touching yeah, the ground. So. It doesn't count. Um, I, I made the oath, but uh, when it was a leap year, um, it doesn't count. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. What's a leap year? <laughs> Don't know. Something to do with Julius Caesar? No. <laughs> George? Who? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the two sides were not going to meet each other. However, a bright spark comes up with an amazing idea. Possibly Roger. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's his sort of thing. Yeah. It was decided, and this is a quote from Amianus here, it was decided by those of good judgment 
that ships should be rowed into midstream of the Danube, one carrying the emperor with his guard, and the other the Gothic ruler with his men. And thus a treaty of peace should be struck, as had been agreed. I think they're both like touching stern to stern, <laughs> leaning over the water. Like, I sign my it, you sign it, just under. No, 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 the, the other, the other... pass it here. <laughs> again. Next page. <laughs> your thought process is exactly the same as mine. <laughs> and again, this is a case of something I've heard before but not thought about it. But yeah, if you actually think about that, <laughs> anyone who's been in a boat knows the worst thing you can possibly do is stand up. Yeah. I'm just leaning over the front. Yeah, I've just passing got, a pen. I mean, these aren't ships; these are boats. Yeah. <laughs> it's got this image of these two boats like knocking up against each other, people <laughs> trying to pass the quill over to sign. <laughs> it's just be a mess. And a bit of a language barrier as well, which means even more hilarious. <laughs> yes. is, that, is that it? Are we done? Have we got peace? I, I'm not. I'm not sure. Mm. He looks very angry still. <laughs> <laughs> what have we just signed? <laughs> What's going on? It's all in goth language. <laughs> yeah, so, but apparently, apparently this went smoothly, <laughs> and it worked. I can't believe that for a second. So there was now peace between Rome and the Goths. Hooray! So what was distracting Valens? Why did he feel the need to go to the east so much? Persians. Persians. Exactly. The east is unstable. There's a reason why he wanted to get over there since the start of his rule, and. This is why war is brewing yet again. So a bit of background here. We left Sharpur last when he defeated Julian and then taken the surrender of Jovian. Yeah. Sharpur spends the next few years flexing his increased muscles. <laughs> well, figuratively. Or possibly oh. literally as well. I, I think he's on the protein powder. Possibly, yes. And he was generally humiliating the Romans. Sharpur knew that the Romans could not intervene in Armenia. That was part of the treaty. So he starts his inevitable takeover. Armenia at the time, if you remember, is being ruled by the sock puppet. Yes. Yes. Whose name is Arshak. Hello, my name is Arshak. Exactly. That's, that's right, it. your name is Arshak. <laughs> I know. You hit him. Gottle of gear. Arshak was dismayed to find out that he's now out on his own. Remember, he, he had supported the Romans, then the Persians had paid him off, then the Romans had paid him off, so he was with the Romans again, and, and now the Romans have been defeated, and it's not looking good for him. No. Where's no. the hand gone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all alone. <laughs> just flopped on the table. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying anything, just staring. <laughs> yeah. So, Sharpor decides, let's not be subtle about this, he just attacks Armenia. Okay. But he was repelled by the Armenian army. However, this was enough to convince Arshak to go to Sharpur and negotiate a peace. He realises he can't hold out. Unfortunately, Arshak had not learnt from history about what happens to people who go to a Sharpur to negotiate peace terms. Oh. Because we all remember what happened to Valerian. We do. Yes. Now, I'd like to think that Arshak passed the Valerian hat stand... <laughs> on his way in the tent. And four others. <laughs> yes. Just just other people that Sharpor <laughs> had picked up. Yeah. You will probably not be surprised to learn that Arshak was imprisoned straight away oh. during these peace talks. His bodyguard general was skinned alive. Oh, flayed. No. Flaying. That's horrible. Maybe. I mean, this could be propaganda. But that's what the sources say. Apparently you can get extra points. If, well, I say points. 
<laughs> extra money if you'd flay them the, the entire skin um, without it breaking. Like you do with an orange. Yeah, or an apple. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Nice. Arshak, the sock puppet, is placed in a prison. He later commits suicide, stabbing himself in the chest with a visitor's knife. The visitor, apparently so shocked by this, then does the same. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, how could you? I best do it as well. Don't make, don't let him watch any horror films. <laughs> or maybe the visitor came in. The only way he could talk to Arshak was to put his hand inside Arshak. Oh, well, you have to to, to yeah. make him him talk. Stabbed his own hand. And then he just, the visitor did lots of stabbing, and they both ended up dead. True. Yeah. Oh no! What are you doing? Stab, stab. Ah. Yeah. Do you think Arshak ended up on a sharp oar's foot? <laughs> Possibly. Or Valerian's. Valerian's hand. Yeah, <laughs> Valerian's hand. <laughs> yeah, so that's where Arshak is now. <laughs> Brilliant. However, the sock puppet's legacy does not end here, for he has a son. Ooh. Named, honestly, Pap. What? That's his name. Pap. Pap. Sometimes Papa, but sometimes Pap. And I'm going for Pap. I prefer Pap. Now, I don't know about you, but the impression I have is, a, you know, one of those tiny little children's white socks with the frilly edge. <laughs> yeah. That's my my image of Pap. He's just a little little white sock puppet. <laughs> have you ever seen the um, League of Gentlemen? Yes. Oh, okay. As um, the Greek dad that owns the shop. And he's like very kind of, hey, my boys, how are you doing? But like that, like Papa. Yeah. They call him Papa. I get that image as well. So a little sock puppet that speaks like that. Yeah. yeah. A girly sock puppet. <laughs> yes. With pink threading in, in the lacy bit at the end. Yeah. So Pap takes control of the forces once his father was detained by Shapur, but soon realises that he cannot hold on. So Pap runs, and he goes to the only place he can think of, Valence. Ooh. Valens at this time is still on the Danube, trying to chase down the Goths. Valens had his hands full, so he sent his general with Pap to try and reinstate him on the Armenian throne. So Valens is trying to put Pap on the throne through <laughs> Yes. Shapur is outraged by this. This is obviously Rome breaking the treaty that he'd made with Jovia. Because we've been holding it so rigorously. Well, they, they, the treaty was Rome would not interfere with Armenia. Um, At no point did Persia say, we won't do anything with Armenia. True. Yeah, so Shapur's actually upholding his end of the deal, but the Romans were not, because they were interfering. <sighs> Monsters. So, skirmishes begin between the Persians and the Romans. Shapur meets and attacks the Roman generals Trajanus and Vadomarius, who, interestingly, Vadomarius is an Alemannic king fighting Ooh. for the Romans. Weird. Which really just show that this narrative of the civilised Romans versus the invading barbarians really is not cut and dry. By this point, you have barbarians fighting. You good, have Good for hire. Yeah, you've got Alemannic kings and troops fighting for the Romans. It's, there, there is no hard border here. It's very fluid what's going on. Now, according to Valens, the Romans were only in the region to keep the peace, you understand. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. They weren't going to... Uh, do anything. They're not going to break the treaty, so they were under strict orders not to attack first. Well, yeah. Which is fine, because Shapur is more than happy to attack them first. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and I'll quote, several skirmishes were tried by both sides, which ended with varying results. And 
an armistice having been concluded by common consent and the summer having ended the leaders of both sides departed in different directions so the generals fighting for rome and sharpor both depart it's a stalemate this however must have boosted the confidence of the romans sharpor was beatable yeah despite what julian had proved and they're no longer following the horrible treaty signed by Jobian. So things yeah, things might be looking up here. Whether this confidence was misplaced or not, we will not know, because Sharpor suddenly called away due to a crisis on the other end of his empire. The Romans find themselves with some breathing room. <sighs> things are looking good. Paps back on the throne in Armenia. <laughs> and Valens is now finally heading east and arrives in Antioch, just in time for things to settle down a bit. Now, there are some more skirmishes here, but Sharpole's no longer present, so it's not blowing up into full-scale war. Yeah. Valens starts making preparations, however, for the inevitable war, which will be coming. Well, that's good. Yeah. Preparing. Yeah, he's preparing. However, there's some minor disturbances in Antioch, when a young man named Thedorus was predicted to succeed Valens. Now, apparently, Thedorus and his friends were playing around with divination. A dangerous thing. And I will quote her. They fixed up a tripod, which revealed to them the secret manner what should happen hereafter. Now in this tripod appeared the letters of Theodorus's name, by which was predicted in plain terms that Theodorus would succeed Valens in the Empire. I love the ambiguity of that. It predicted it in very plain, very obvious terms. We won't say what they are. But... Well, no, the, the, it, this tripod is like a, yeah. a Ouija board. It pointed to letters, and it spelled out Theodorus's name. Goodness Yes, I know. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Theodorus, stop pulling it. (laughs) Look, it's a T and an H. Now, you get the impression from Zosimus here that Theodorus was just uh, being led astray by people trying to manoeuvre him into a coup. Julian's friends again. (laughs) Yes. Go on, go on. Go on, play, play with the tripod. See what happens. Go on, go on. It's so much fun. (laughs) Ammianus, however, sets it up more like that Theodorus was actually in charge of this. Oh, really? And was staging a coup. I prefer Zosimus' opinion. I I like to think that he was just being led astray. (laughs) Either way, Valens finds out. And I quote Ammianus, Valens' monstrous savagery spread everywhere like a fiercely blazing torch. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Well, not nice, but it's a lovely description. It's a nice turn of phrase, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Valens proceeds to torture individuals involved until he knows the whole story. He's sent out for Theodorus's capture, and we'll find out what happens in a Probium Crasium. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just save that for later. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Armenia... It appears that Pap was actually a disaster at ruling the country. With a name like that, you're yeah. going to be, aren't you? Well, he's a tiny white sock puppet, so <laughs> it's, it's not going to go well. I say this, I mean, let's face it, to put this another way, he wasn't doing exactly what his Roman masters was telling him to do. Yeah. He had executed a high-ranking bishop who was respected by Rome and was starting to dictate laws in cities that were, in Roman eyes, on the Roman side of the border. Yeah. Oh Although Ammianus states that it was actually people within Pap's court who were painting the young king in a bad light in the hopes of taking advantage. So maybe it's not Pap's fault to this. Maybe. Yes. Pap was invited to Tarsus by Valens, 
But once Pap arrived, he was suddenly put under guard, awaiting orders from Balans himself. Ooh, okay. Pap, not being a complete imbecile, realises that the gig's up here. <laughs> Why? Uh, things are not looking good. He gathered 300 men that he'd gone to Tarsus with and marches out of the city. Really? Just <laughs> daring his guards to stop him. So, I'm off. Yeah. Screw this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, try and arrest me if you want, but you're going to have to fight my 300 bodyguards. <laughs> and we all know what happens when armies fight 300 men. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 300 always win. Yes. Without any armour. Yeah, no armour. And certainly not tens of thousands of other free Greeks that were also there. But (laughs) Yeah. So the 300 bodyguards of Pap, and Pap himself, are marching out of the city of Tarsus. The governor of the province receives news of this and realises he's about to lose his prisoner. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh dear. So he jumps. You wish you'd use chains. <laughs> yes. Where were we keeping him? It, oh, in the courtyard. With the horses. <sighs> <sighs> so the governor jumps on a horse and chases after him personally. Oh. He catches up with Pap and asks him very politely to come back. Nice. <laughs> Please. Pap said no. Okay. <laughs> I imagine there was a slightly embarrassing pause at that point, and the governor went. Okay, then. And then headed back to the palace. (laughs) To to, to make a few slashes on his face and his arms look like there's a real fight. (laughs) Knock over a few glasses. (laughs) Yeah, there's clearly an oversight here. The idea that we're we're just detaining him, but they hadn't actually thought about could they physically do it. And they couldn't, so (laughs) they put him under arrest and Pap literally just walks out. Excellent. Pap, however, does not know the region very well, and after spending some nights in some farms... He is caught up by Valen's men. However, Pap uses his cunning at this point. As Valen's men approach him head on, he sends one man on a horse to his left down a track, another man on another horse down a track on his right, and then he himself leads the men with a flag of surrender, ready to give up himself to Valen's troops. Or at least so it seems to Valen's troops, because what Pap's actually done was send his men towards Valen's men, but he had turned around and legged it. Oh, of course. (laughs) Valen's men don't trust the fact that these men of Pap are approaching them with flags of surrender, and notice a man on a horse to the left and chase after him. Ooh. And they notice a man on the right and chase after him. But they did not notice Pap running in the opposite direction. Excellent. Pap manages to get all the way back to Armenia, and gets oh, back on the throne. Nice. Well done, little sock puppet. Several months later, the Roman general Trajanus turns up in Armenia and says to Pap, it was all a misunderstanding. Valens is fine with you ruling Armenia. We're really sorry. Um, we won't do it again. Why don't you come over to my place and we'll have a big feast to celebrate? <sighs> <laughs> yes. At which point Pap should have just gone... No, I'm okay. <laughs> well, I've, I've just eaten. <laughs> Had a boiled egg for lunch. I'm fine. And I quote here. Trajanus hosted a banquet in Pap's honour. Halfway through the night, Trajanus got up to relieve himself. And then a rude barbarian 
fiercely glaring with savage eyes and brandishing a drawn sword, was sent in to kill the young man who had already been cut off by an, of any possibility of escape. At this sight, the young king, who, as it happened, was leaning forward beyond his couch, drew his dagger and was rising to defend his life by every possible means, but he fell disfigured, pierced through the breast like some victim at an altar, foully slain by repeated strokes. Oh. <laughs> there, there. <laughs> yeah, possibly stroke of a sword. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Tregianus just let loose a savage barbarian. <laughs> Do you think he saw that like, they're normally holding chains yeah. with the face guard out back? I'd like to think it was a really mild-mannered, just just person who happened to live in the Alemannic region. Hannibal Lecter style. Yeah, but when, when they asked him to, it's like, do you mind terribly if you went, you know barbarian on this lot. I oh. don't know. I mean, so I'm trying to stop those tendencies. Yes. Well, I, I just feel like I'm I'm enabling a stereotype here. I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> just show you Romans that we're not barbarians. We and have our own a... culture, our own history. I mean, we've we've moved so forward so far with our culture and society in the past few years. Yes. I don't want people in the future just to label us as some huge group of barbarians. They've got to be able to identify with us as people. Oh, go on then. <laughs> so his beard sprouts out, yeah. pulls out a massive shaggy sword. Yeah, he takes off his tie and then rips <laughs> off his shirt and underneath it's just studded leather. <laughs> An all skin belt. Yeah. A couple yeah. of skulls hanging from his waist. <laughs> Suppose if I must. <sighs> Tally ho. <Kapla! laughs> But after this, it, it, I'm just here for the economic negotiations. Yes, and yes. maybe a glass of Shiraz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Pap is dead. Oh. Armenia is now fully under Roman control Ooh. yet again. By this time, Valens has pretty much built up his ability to attack the Persians, who were still occupied by troubles on the other side of their empire. However, <laughs> just the wrong time, a letter comes through. Hello, sir. <laughs> Good news. <laughs> <laughs> for the undertakers <laughs> <laughs> they've been struggling so badly <laughs> Valentinian was dead Aww. and you were right Valens does outlast his brother this was upsetting obviously but it does not change Valens' plans there were some shifts in the royal family that I'll go into in more detail in another episode but very briefly Gratian if you remember Gratian is Valentinian's son yeah. who is now joint emperor already yeah he retains his emperorship okay but he is joined by valentinian ii who was another son of valentinian who i didn't even bother mentioning last week all right <laughs> so valentinian ii is now emperor as well okay but he is even younger than gratian so you got valens an adult and then you've got a teenager and a child so ultimately valens doesn't see why this is going to stop his invasion plans he can still attack Persia. It's fine. Gratian and Valentinian too can hold on to the west. I will sort out Persia. But something then happens that did change everything. In fact, not just his invasion plans. This changes the entire future of the Roman Empire itself. Oh, is this what I, kind of what I mentioned? This is kind of what you mentioned. Ooh, I'm a historian. Yeah. Valens is in Antioch still at this point, and suddenly there was a knock on the door. <laughs> And that jaunty knock could only mean one thing. It was a group of gothic envoys. <laughs> Hello, sir. We've really tried to... We're trying to sell this new image of ourselves. 
I just, I just got an image of um, Jehovah's Witnesses now. <laughs> just open the door. Shirts and up to the top, no tie. Yeah. Hello, we're here to talk about the Goths <laughs> and how you view them. Do you have a moment? Tries to slam the door, foot in the way. <laughs> yeah. The Goths were here, way out of their usual normal stomping grounds. They'd gone all the way to Antioch. It was a bit of a surprise to see some Gothic envoys asking to see Valens. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> why are you here? How did you get in? <laughs> the reason why they were there, they were asking for asylum. Ooh. Yeah, that was pretty much the reaction of the Romans. They weren't just asking for asylum themselves, this small small group. They were asking asylum for entire swathes of the Gothic people. They were scared. They were dying. Oh. A ruthless barbarian tribe was killing them and pushing them out of their land. <laughs> Valens was possibly surprised by this in the same way you are. It's like, the Goths are meant to be the scariest barbarians around. Who on earth is scaring you? Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> and finally we get to introduce another one of Rome's most infamous enemies. The Huns. I've heard of the Huns. Oh yes. The Huns are here. You thought the Goths were bad. <laughs> we're going to look into who the Huns were in more detail in an episode where we've yeah. got less to cover. Uh, but for now, they can just remain this vague terror that they must have been to the Romans. It's like the, the myth is far away. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're destroying the Goths. Oh, my God, they must be awful. Yes, exactly. That's how it must have felt. It's like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. Yeah. And you don't see them right at the end of, like, episode... Is it series one, the end of, or series two? Oh, even beyond that, I think. Series, end of series is like the last yeah. episode of a series. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. Ooh, scary. Yeah, it is scary. All the Romans knew was that this new group of barbarians were turning up and they were strong enough to scare the Goths into humiliating themselves by asking the Romans of all people to help. Wow. The Goths asking for help were in fact two groups. One were called the Trevingi, led by a king called Fritigern, and the other the Grathungi. Oh, you've mentioned them before. Yes, they have been mentioned before. The sources claim that there were 200,000 warrior Goths and a million civilians. This has been hugely downscaled by modern historians to around 10,000 soldiers and 50 to 90,000 people. But it's, it's hard to say. We're not talking 200,000, though. No. Okay. No. But it's still a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of foreign aid. Yeah. Valens was chuffed to bits after he thought about it for a moment. Just before this, he was going off to fight the Persians, and now a massive group of soldiers has a have arrived on his borders, saying, please let us in, we'll, we'll give you things, we'll give you anything, let us in. Protect us. <laughs> so, Valens has now suddenly received a massive boost to his army. Yeah. Yeah. This is good news. So, he sends off word to the Danube, yes, you may begin negotiations. Now, what happens next is a bit odd and subject to fierce debate in the world of history. Valens sends his negotiators to go and negotiate with the Goths. Now, <laughs> only one of the two tribes were allowed entry, which were the Trevingi under Fritigan. The Guthungi, however, were told to stay where they were. Ooh. And we don't know the details of negotiations, so we don't know why they decided that. Also, interestingly, the Trevingi were given quite generous terms, bizarrely so. Now, usually, because barbarians have been coming into the empire and settling for hundreds of years, it wasn't that unusual. But usually, the practice of the Romans is split these barbarians into smaller groups, disarm them, and spread them out mm. to make sure they don't form a big group and revolt. 
Yeah. The Travangai were able to stay as one group and also were able to keep their weapons. Now, there is some suggestion by modern historians that this isn't technically true. They were <laughs> only in one group for a small amount of time for reasons you'll see. And actually, they weren't allowed to keep their weapons. They just bribed the officials to keep their weapons. <laughs> but something obviously happened. Why, we're not sure, but the Travangai come over in a big group and still have their swords. Yeah, That's not going to go down well. No, it's not. But this could suggest that the Romans did not actually feel strong enough to say no to the Goths. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe they just realised, actually, we, we can't say no. <laughs> don't really <laughs> So fine, choice. come on over, just don't kill us. What, whatever the reason is, however, the Romans provide boats to the Trevengai, and the Trevengai gradually cross over, leaving the Gathungai to take their chances with the Huns. Hmm? You can imagine what kind of scene that would be. Ooh, mess. Very messy. The crossing was not done carefully, and many men drowned in the river. Entire families were wiped out just by trying to get across the river, because this just was not done very well. The Trungai finally arrive across the river, not in best spirits, shall we say. Once on the Roman side of the river, the Roman officials looked around them and realised that the Goths were in a mess. They had very little with them. This is the perfect time, they thought, to organise, offer humanitarian aid. What? No, they didn't. They thought this was the perfect <laughs> time to completely rinse these people dry. Ah. The man in charge, Lupicinus, or Lupicinus, 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 Lupicinus. Let's call him Lupi. The man in charge was Lupi, and he was a particularly nice man. He was given a huge stock of food by order of Valens to distribute to the Goths. Nice. Lupi decides that it would be far more profitable to him to just sell that food to nearby Roman settlements. Oh he makes a huge profit, and the Goths start to die of starvation. That's not nice. It's really not nice. The situation becomes so desperate that Gothic parents start selling their children into slavery rather than watching them starve to death. Oh dear. Yeah. As you can imagine, the Goths are not best pleased about this. <laughs> and I'll no. quote... They muttered that they were being forced to disloyalty as a remedy for the evils that threatened them which I think is actually quite polite compared to what they were probably saying. <laughs> probably, yeah. Yes. Does it's it absolute beep, beep. <laughs> I'll kick him in the beep, beep. Yeah. Ram my beep down his beep. <laughs> this has become desperate for the Goths. Yeah. They, they were escaping the Huns only to be wiped out by the Romans. The Picanus realised that the situation was rapidly deteriorating and orders his troops to settle the region. In other words, kill anyone who looked at you the wrong way. So now the Romans are using their swords to try and back down any kind of uprising that will go on. It's very tense. And under this very tense atmosphere, the Romans start to lead the Goths to their new home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> However, I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you, that the Gathungai, who were left on the other side of the Danube, are not best pleased about this, and they decide, you know what, let's just go into Roman territory anyway. Seeing that the Danube had fewer men to defend it, because they were all guarding the Trafungai, they decide that it's now or never. The Gathungai cross the river. Fritigans, Travungai at this point hear of this and deliberately slow their pace down to allow their fellow Goths to catch them up. 
Oh, I stubbed my toe. Oh, my shoe isn't done. Oh, no. <laughs> Hang on, I've got, to, got to stop. I've got, I've got to go to the toilet. You've just been. It's, it's number two this time. <laughs> uh, pass me the newspaper. I'm going to be a while. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Three months later. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, hello. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, look who's here. <laughs> yeah. But Pickinus again realises that this is going to be trouble. So he decides to do something about it. He invites the Gothic king Fritigern to dine with him. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a good thing. This is now the third invitation to dine in the last two episodes. During this time, it was very dangerous to go and dine. <laughs> Who's the gonger? <laughs> oh, who was it? Was it Gideon the gonger? Gong. <laughs> Gilbert. Gilbert the Gonger. Maybe it's fine. Maybe Lepicanus just wants to talk to Fritigern. Yeah. And invite Gilbert as well. Who knows? Fritigern settles down. They eat. They talk. But then news comes through. There's some trouble outside. A group of hungry Goths and some Roman soldiers had had a squabble, an altercation. Ooh. Yes. They had um, they'd beaten the living beep out of each other. <laughs> That's what they'd done. Um, in fact, some of the Roman soldiers had been killed. Okay. Lupicianus decides that the most sensible thing to do here is to kill Fritigern's attendants in retribution. Fritigern obviously didn't go on his own. He took some people with him. Oh, imagine the looks on their face when they hear that. What? <laughs> I'm handing out wine. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Yeah. I'm in charge of silverware. <laughs> now, this news was meant to stay contained, but obviously everything leaks sooner or later. News of this massacre spreads. Full-blown revolt looks certain. In an attempt to calm things, Lupicanus lets Fritigern go and tells him to go and calm his troops down. Fritigern goes back to his people and tells them that the Romans wanted them to calm down. So... I suggest we all pick up our swords and kill as many Romans as possible. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> Obviously, Fredegern was not going to say that to his troops. No. They've had enough by this point. The Goths completely revolt. The Turingi soon meet up with the Cathungi. Lupicanus has to sort them out. He rallies his men, sets off, catches both groups of Goths up within no time at all, and smashes into them. Excellent. And is completely destroyed. Uh oh. Yes. The Goths wipe them out. So the Goths are now in Roman territory and all their Roman guards are dead. It was not long before a large chunk of the Danube region is completely overrun by the Gothic mm. people. They captured towns, cities, forts. Sometimes they were aided by Romans who were looking to profit from the situation. Mm. Most of the time, they just took what they saw. And I'll quote from Amianus here. With such guides, nothing that was not inaccessible and out of the way remained untouched. For without distinction of age or sex, all places were ablaze with slaughter and great fires. Sucklings were torn from the very breasts of their mothers and slain. Matrons and widows whose husbands had been killed before their eyes were carried off. Boys of tender age or adult age were dragged away over the dead bodies of their parents. Finally, many aged men, crying that they had lived long enough after losing their possessions and their beautiful women, were led into exile, with their arms pinioned behind their backs and weeping over the glowing ashes of their ancestral homes. 
Oh. Not good times. No. <laughs> the goths are on one. They as are. They say. <laughs> I guess they've got a bit of a pent up anger. Well, a bit of adrenaline boost as well from the, yes. the Huns right behind them. It's like, yes, right, possibly. we better get, we better establish ourselves again. Yes. At this point, Valence finally realizes that this is a bigger problem than Sharpor possibly can be. It's time he goes and sorts this out himself. Yeah. He's now senior emperor in the empire. He's got to go and sort it out. Yeah. So he quickly sends off some envoys to the Persians, saying things along the lines of, Shapur, wonderful to see you. Isn't it great how we didn't go to war recently? We should continue this. After all, we've always been friends deep down. Keep Valerian. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll put our hats somewhere else. So, with a very shaky piece made in the east... Valens then sets off for the Danube. While on his way, there were a few battles in the Danube, which we simply don't have time to get into, but to sum up, no one's winning at this point and a lot of people are dying. Okay. Yes. Valens passes through Constantinople, and the people are not best pleased to see him. Oh, Re- hi. <laughs> oh, you remembered us, have you? Remember, they never particularly liked him to begin with, and now they're accusing him of neglecting their defences. True. Constantinople's pretty much in the Danube region. It's on the edge Mm. of it. If these Goths push through, they could be on the gates of Constantinople quite quickly. We should put our capital back to Rome. It's really far away. Yeah. A lot safer. No one does anything in Rome. I'm sure it's peaceful there. (laughs) Valens quickly moves on. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. I'll build some walls at some point. And he moves (laughs) on very quickly. He sends his general, Sebastianus, ahead of him. Oh, Sebastian. Sebastian, yes. Sebastian manages to win some skirmishes while Valens waits for reinforcements from his nephew, Gratian. However, Gratian was held up for reasons that we go through in his episode (gasps) next time. Valens, perhaps getting a bit worried by his nephew's supposed popularity, (laughs) Gratian's quite popular at this point, and also the successes of his army due to Sebastian, decides that now's the time to sort this mess out once and for all and personally. Fair enough. He thinks that, oh, this isn't looking good for me. I need to, I'm the emperor. I've got to go and sort this out. So he sends out some scouts and he gets some reports. The Goths only have about 10,000 men who are in fighting condition at this point. This is easily outnumbered by the Romans. We don't have the Roman figures, annoyingly, but we do get the impression that Valens is very comfortable with this Mm. number. It's probably like 10,001 or something. Yeah. At least 10,002, maybe. (laughs) At at least one or two men more, definitely. Mm. So, Valens is feeling confident, and then a letter arrives. Hello, sir. (laughs) Gratian sorted out that problem that was holding him up, surprisingly quickly, and is ready to join the fight. So, Uncle, just wait there, I'll be there soon, and we'll fight the Goths together. This makes up Valen's mind. He did not want to be seen as the Emperor who needed his nephew to bail him out. Oh, no. He is easily outnumbering the Goths here. His men are better trained and better equipped. And they're not barbarians. And they're not barbarians. So, let's go and sort out the barbarians. Oh, no. (laughs) Valen sets out preparations for battle. This will be the most infamous battle in all of Rome's imperial history. Really? Whilst preparations are being made, Valens receives two letters from Fritigern. The first is a public letter saying that the Goths wanted peace, but they just needed to be treated better than they were before. 
We're not, we're not your enemy, but seriously, you stop starving us to death and forcing us to sell our children into slavery. <laughs> Is it that much to ask? <laughs> and then there was a second private letter, apparently, that stated, I really do want peace. I wasn't lying in that first letter. However, keep your army together, because I'm having t- trouble keeping control of my gothic men. Ooh. Yeah. So... Th- I do want peace, but this peace is not going to come easily. Mm. We're going to have to work hard to come to a settlement here. Valens reads these wise words and decides to bin the letter, throws it in the fire. I don't believe a word of it. I'm going to go and destroy them all. Oh, dear. Yes, but you do get the sense of Fritigan being quite sensible there. Yeah. Not only is he saying, look, come on, guys, this isn't on, but he's also acknowledging that it's not going to be easy to do. Sounds pretty good to me. Valens, the next day, sets out from Adrianople and marches towards the Goths. However, it soon becomes clear that the Goths are a little bit further away than they first thought. (laughs) 700 miles. (laughs) Yes. This is not a quick march. They march all day through the hot sun until two in the afternoon before they finally catch sight of the opposing army. By this time, the Romans were hot, sweaty, and in no mood for a fight. The Goths, I imagine, were sitting outside their tents in deck chairs, Sipping lemonade. <laughs> Just clean off their picnics. Yeah. Oh, who's that, sir? Oh, I believe it's the Romans. <laughs> ah, hello there. Quick, everyone, put the beards on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> put, the... <laughs> yeah. put the good swords away, get the chipped ones. <laughs> Look like they're being wielded by an orc. <laughs> yes. Do we just know those polystyrene skulls? <laughs> Still. Despite the fact that the Romans were were worn out by this point before fighting even starts, the numbers are still on Valen's side. It's still very obvious which way this battle's going to go. (laughs) However, the Goths then play a very particularly nasty trick in the sweltering summer sun. They realised the wind was blowing towards the Romans, so they lit a whole bunch of fires. Oh. So all the smoke and ash just flies in the face of the Roman troops. All the heat as well. Yes. That's not nice. So the Romans by this point are just sweltering. They're thirsty. They're in no mood to have a battle. Valens is said to have started to doubt his readiness to battle by this point and was preparing to send envoys to Fritigern to talk about this peace idea (laughs) when suddenly the tensions ran a bit too high and a Roman commander on one of the flanks breaks ranks and attacks. Oh dear. Two units charge without orders, and the battle begins. There's no stopping it now. Things look good for the Romans to begin with, especially considering how tired they were. The left wing manages to push the Goths right back to their wagon train at the rear of the battlefield. In fact, this looked like it's going to break the Gothic troops straight away. This is going to be a walkover. Hmm. <laughs> But then, Fritigern springs his trap. He did not have 10,000 men. He merely had 10,000 men that Valens knew about. Now, we don't know the exact numbers of these extra men, but we get the impression it was a substantial amount. And they are all on horse. It's an entire units of cavalry suddenly appear over the hill substantially bolstering the Gothic troops. The Romans look to their left in despair. Their formation offered no protection from this unexpected attack, and the Gothic cavalry smash into their unprotected troops, causing havoc and destruction. And we will let Amianus take it over from here. (laughs) 
There were clouds of dust and the heavens could no longer be seen and the air echoed with frightful cries. Hence the arrows whirling death from every side always found their mark with fatal effect, since they could not be seen beforehand nor guarded against. The barbarians pouring forth in huge hordes trampled down horse and men, and in the press of ranks no room for retreat could be gained anywhere, and the increased crowding left no opportunity for escape. Our soldiers received their death blows. Finally, when the whole scene was discoloured with the hue of dark blood, and wherever men turned their eyes, heaps of slain met them. They trod upon the bodies of the dead without mercy. Nice. This is too much for the Romans. <laughs> and they <laughs> break ranks. Oh, wow. That doesn't often happen, does it? No. And I quote again, Finally our line was broken by the onrushing weight of the barbarians, and since that was the only resort in their last extremity, they took to their heels in disorder as best they could. The Romans flee the battlefield. We don't know exactly how Valens dies, but he does not survive the battle. Oh dear. Amianus gives three options. Ooh. Number one, he was shot by an arrow and died. Okay. That's just a bit boring. The next one's a bit more interesting. He was thrown from his horse in the chaos, landed in a boggy area, and was trampled to death. Oh, I like that. Or, number three, the most detailed, he escaped the battlefield, okay. managed to hold up in a farmhouse that was soon surrounded by Goths who didn't know who he was, so they just burnt the house down oh. with him inside. <laughs> so which one of those? I, I like the, the bog one. I'll the bog one. Okay, surveillance was travelled to death in a bog. <laughs> but either way, there is now a massive Gothic army loose inside the Empire, and the only army capable of defeating it has been destroyed. Oh dear. And those Huns were getting closer. This is the worst defeat in Roman history. Really? Well, at least certainly in Roman Imperial history. This is bad. It's like the end of a lost episode, isn't it? Yes. Where it cuts to the all hope is gone. Doom. Yeah. Pretty much. And the Empire at the moment is now in the hands of Two emperors, <laughs> well... a teenager and a child. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. How many emperors to go? Not a huge amount. We have oh pretty dear. much exactly 100 years until the West falls. Okay. It's all downhill from here. They could, they could turn it around. They could turn it around. We'll you see. <laughs> but before we look into that... Stop being so linear with history. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's rate Valence, shall we? Oh dear. Fightius Maximus. Zero. <laughs> well, let's give him a chance. Okay, he journeyed through Persia with Julian and Jovian. Yeah. Um, he beat Procopius and put down a rebellion. Yeah. He fought several skirmishes in the east with the Persians. And he also won several skirmishes against the Goths, or at least his generals did. Yeah. So that's as good. His bad. He lost the most infamous battle in Roman imperial history. Now, it's widely accepted that there are too many reasons why the Empire failed to list, but one of the major reasons that people generally keep coming back to is this battle and the result of this battle. This is the linchpin, isn't it? Yes. Now, that, that is debatable, but this is, this is a huge event yeah. in Roman history. Like I say, it's, it's almost 100 years exactly until Augustulus, and it, it, it just gets worse and worse from now on. Oh. <laughs> Still, that's in retrospect, and creating epochs for the sake of simplifying history. So let's <laughs> yeah, let's discount all that and just look at this one battle. Let's not think about what happens in right, the future. Yeah, fair enough. 
and let's just think about Baymond's and yeah. this battle. So even if you do that, he still did terribly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why did he march all day to face the Goths? Wait, two things. Either stupid, yeah. or he didn't realise, which again is stupid, because you send people to check that out. Yeah, he was either Forward planning. incompetent or overconfident. Either yes. way, it's bad. But also, he wasn't really a soldier, because he became a soldier at no, 30. he really wasn't, was he? So he's yeah. making these big decisions, and he's obviously getting some advice, but... Mm. Now, also, don't forget, he didn't wait for Gratian. Gratian was coming no. with an army. If he had that army, he almost certainly would have won. But he didn't wait for reinforcements. Mm. Now, I can kind of see why. I know why he did it. Didn't justify it, though. But there were vain and stupid reasons. Yeah. And also, finally, he clearly did not respect his enemy enough. You yeah. get the impression he really thought the Goths were just barbarians. That's true. And there's no way they could possibly beat us civilised Romans. Oh, positive. He got back Antioch. No, Armenia. Yes, he did manage to get Armenia back and put Pap on the throne and then destroy Pap. That's a good point. He did manage to do that. Okay. So I just, just, yeah. It's not going to get much. <laughs> it's really not. Uh, two. I'm not even going to be that generous. I'm going to give him one. I will give him one because he did do some fighting. Well, I'm thinking, you know, he held up against Persia quite well. Uh, Shapur Pro- had to go and fight somewhere else. He was never tested against Persia. In his name, Procopius was beaten. And against massive odds. Yeah, which is why name. I'm giving him a point. Um, that's one giving him two. And, you know, hell about the Persians. He, he was attacking the Goths and he got back Armenia. So I'm giving him two. No, I'm sticking with one. I'm really <laughs> not impressed. So there we go. That is three for Phidias Maximus. Aprovium Okay, this is his reaction to Procopius's revolt. Oh, yeah. Yes. He was so enraged that he commenced an inquiry, not only after the actors in the revolt, but after those who had given any counsel in it, or had even heard any circumstances which they had not revealed. He thus acted with great severity towards all persons without regard to justice, not only all who had conspired, but those who merely were friends or relations of any of the conspirators. Though themselves perfectly innocent, they were sacrificed to the fury of the emperor." Ooh, okay. A bit of blind justice going on there. <laughs> a bit he, severe, I'll put. A bit severe. He was said that he was sometimes disappointed that he could not make men suffer for their crimes after they had died. Oh. <laughs> yes. So let's now look at Theodorus, shall we? Oh, yeah, the guy that... Yes. <laughs> yeah. The guy who yeah. just did a bit of divination and... It, it just seems like a half-hearted coup, even if it was a coup attempt. Who knows? Valens found out about this half-hearted coup and has everyone he can see linked to it arrested. And I will quote here. Since neither the public dungeons, already full to overflowing, nor private houses could contain the throngs of prisoners, although they were crammed together in hot and stifling crowds, and since the greater number of them were in irons, they all dreaded their own fate and that of their nearest relatives. Eventually, Theodorus himself was found, arrested and dragged into the city of Antioch. He arrived half dead with fear, and the trumpets were already sounding the signal for the murder of citizens. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> He's upgraded the gong to the trumpets. Yes, he has. <laughs> Got the jazz band back out. Yes. Death. Now, Amianus points out here that there had been attempts on Valen's life before. In fact, one time, one of the soldiers guarding him just suddenly turned round with a dagger in his hand and attempted to stab Valens in the Ooh. neck. Wow. Okay. He, was, he wasn't well liked. <laughs> no, <laughs> not. But Amianus goes on to say 
that despite the assassination attempts, it did not justify the savagery that Phelan's went after all these alleged plotters, regardless of any evidence of their guilt. The trials start. They last all day, and they build up to the main event, which is Theodorus himself. Where, and I will quote, Valens broke out into a frenzied fit of rage like a wild beast trained for the arena. Witnesses were called in one by one, all of them showing very visible signs of the extensive torture that Valens had put them under. Then Theodorus himself collapses, begging for forgiveness, as the tripod, the Ouija board essentially, was brought out to show everyone how they had used dark magic to usurp the throne. Theodorus and many others were executed that day, one of them being burnt alive. Valens then starts a campaign against what he considered to be black magic. There were many examples of him just killing people for the sake of it, but this one in particular stands out. There was a man who had made a horoscope for his brother. His brother happened to be called Valens. Oh, no. It's a common name. He was accused of attempting to make predictions of the Emperor's future and was tortured and beheaded. So, not nice. Not nice. Um, A bit severe. Yeah. A bit enraged. Yeah. And tell he's his brother's brother. Yes. And you can say he doesn't quite know where to stop. No, he really doesn't. Um, He seems like someone who's out of his depth and cannot take any hint of any kind of criticism or... (laughs) <laughs> just someone who just can't cope anymore. No. Yeah. yeah. So he's just turning to attacking everyone around them. Yeah, rather than accepting responsibility. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And that's not what you want from your leader. Not at all. No. Um, I, 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 I don't think I can give him too high, though. I mean, I'm certainly thinking like five or six. But I'm not heading towards the sevens and eights. I think. No, I don't think it's upper end. I don't think it's lower end. I, I think this gives him a solid five myself. Yeah, I'll, I'll match that, yeah. So yeah, 10. fairly similar to his brother, without the added advantage of bears. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yes, it was. Okay, so that's a total of ten for a problem crazy. Success, ultimate. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, he ruled for a while, and he kept things in order. He did. That's all I've got for good. So did did he? <laughs> yes. I mean, no, that that is all I've got for good. He got by land. He did, actually. He expanded no, the Empire. Right, he expanded the... Well, he, he got Armenia back under their influence. Okay, you're right. I'll give him that plus point. Okay. And that's it. Bad, then. <laughs> He's not known for any reforms that aided the Empire. And then there's the one big black mark that's often placed on his head. Mm. And that's his policy of letting the barbarians into the Empire. Well, he invited the enemy in that then attacked. Yeah, no, well... This view's been widely rebuffed in recent times. If you go back, then it's generally considered that Valens let the barbarians in, and therefore it's his fault that the empire collapses. Valens gets a lot of stick. Really? However, recently there's has been more of a, a rethink, because there's plenty of evidence that Valens is merely continuing the trend of allowing barbarians to settle in return for them fighting. As we saw earlier in this episode, we've got Alamanic kings True. fighting for them. There's, there's lots of people outside of Rome coming in and doing a lot of good for the Empire. So Venus is not doing something unusual here. Perhaps he should have split the Goths up a little bit more, but I don't really think it was possible to do so, as seen by the way that the Goths were easily able to revolt. I just, yeah. 
I just don't think the Romans had enough power at the time. No, they didn't. The blame, in my mind, lays squarely on the officials in charge of settling the barbarians. Lupicinus, in particular. It's fairly obvious that the Goths have been treated appallingly. Yeah, they're abusing their power. Yeah, and quite justifiably rose up, in my opinion. In this story we've put forth today, the Romans were not the good guys. No, that's true. The Goths were the good guys. They were the victims. They were the victims, yeah. So, however, back to the point. Can we deduct points off Valens for the influx of Goths and the havoc that they wreaked? I think so, because it happened in his name. Yeah. He was responsible, ultimately. Yes, I agree. Um, Partly. Definitely partly. So I can't absolve him of all blame. He doesn't do anything particularly well. No. And we say status quo means that you you get some points but it's not status quo no it, the empire is now in an awful position and it's we're, all because of him we're now on the downhill slope yeah we've, we've reached the peak we're now down it's been rocky for a while but now it's uh it's more than it's bouldery <laughs> it's traveling very fast downhill yeah um so we can't really judge him on that too harshly but even if you look at short term it's like, epochs isn't it yeah, even if you look at short term, the fact is that immediately after his death, Rome is in an awful place. Yeah. So, and, and the next emperors will get the blame for his mistakes. Yeah. And it is his fault that Rome's in an awful That's place. That's true. One. Is that for Armenia? Zero. Yeah, I'm giving him zero. Image of face. Okay. His face. Got it. Thin, angry looking. We don't have a bust. Ah. To be fair, we might not have had a bust of Valentinian. As, oh, that's uh, true. As I pointed out last week, there was debate on whether that is Valentinian. So but I thought Justinian as well. Yes, it, it could have been someone else. It does look a lot like the pictures I've seen of Justinian. So. Yeah, but I like the bust and I wanted to share it. So. It's a pretty impressive bust. Yeah. So maybe when we we get to, to other emperors, maybe we'll say that it's him. Mm. But we definitely don't have a we don't have a bust of Valens. No. But we do have a coin. All right. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Meh. Yeah, it's really not that impressive. It looks like a bloke. Um, on the reverse of the coin we've got here, we have Valentinian and Valens. Uh, oh, wow. Or the other way around, uh, because they're just both blobs. It's quite hard <laughs> to judge. Yeah. Um, yeah. He looks emperorish. Dignified. Yeah. I'm not unimpressed, but I'm not impressed. No, I'm going to give a four. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a total of two for Imago Facius. Temple completed. How long does he last? Oh, can't be long. Five years? Remember he outlasts his brother. How long brother? He's eight years. Oh, okay. He's eleven years. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. No way. Yes way. Fifteen years? Not bad. He lasted from three six four to three seven eight. He lasts fourteen whole years. Might have to bleep this out, but bloody hell. <laughs> If you think about it, he had to deal with Procopius for a year or so. Yeah. Then he dealt with the Goths for a few years. Yeah. Then he spent ages in the East just waiting for a war against Persia. That's true. And then he finally comes back to fight the Goths again. He lasted a quite a substantial amount of time. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprisingly impressed with that. That gives him a score of 1.75 for Tempo Completo. Yeah. That's fairly respectable. So he now has his total... It is, quite frankly, embarrassing compared to his brother, <laughs> 16.75. Oh dear, I had so, many, so much more hope for him. Did you? I did, yeah. Well, let's discuss that hope 
when we discuss whether he has. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't lead in, does it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'll play it well, anyway. Let's discuss that. <laughs> because I wonder... No, that still doesn't work. Well, let's find out if he... No, that still doesn't work, because it says, does he have? Do they? Do they? Jamie. <laughs> well, what do you think? Yeah. Does they have a set on the NACs? That, that works, yeah. Yeah, you said... Right, I'll play it now, yeah. Well, no, you say it to me, so it's not like you're saying it. I'll just leave all this in and play it. <laughs> Do they have a certain je ne sais I think so. There's yeah. part of me that really thinks, yeah. I, I agree, there's argument for it. He's the crest. Yeah, there's more argument to give it to him than his brother, yes. bizarrely enough. Yeah. Despite his brother getting a bizarrely large score, which I'm still surprised by. Because he, cause he, even I remembered, even me who has no real interest <laughs> in Rome and Roman history. I do now, but I never used to. But even I remember the name Valens. Oh, he's the one that a lot of people think started the fall of the empire. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing to talk about. Not something a- proud, but... Adrianople is the pinnacle of bad times for Rome. And he was the emperor who made that happen. For sheer lack of success as Ultimus. Yeah. Then perhaps he should have it. I, I would certainly... Con- yeah, I, I would feel very happy giving it to him, to be honest. But does he excel in an area? Well, he's the antithesis of excelling, isn't he, really? Yes, he really is. Which is uh, an excelling but, in another way. But is he, though? Because he's not as bad as some emperors we've come across. He's fairly middle of the road, but at the end, he really, really messed up. Well, that's the thing, he's... He does more than, say, Caligula did. He altered the course of Roman history far more than Caligula did. He fought more than Caligula did and won more. Yeah. He achieved land. The only thing Caligula had is he was bat-poo crazy. Which is why he justifiably got mm. Genesis up. But he is so bad and it's a genuine turning point for the Empire. Like a genuine... Right, from now on, it, it's all changed. It's gone from the pinnacle to now it's different. There will be many historians who disagree with that opinion. Yeah, they're going to disagree with everything we say. <laughs> Quite easily. <laughs> History's subjective as well. Apparently the, the mermaid thing didn't happen. Well, that's rubbish. We know it did. We definitely know that happens. But, yeah, there are, there is definitely very solid argument to say that actually Adrianople is held up as being this turning point when actually it wasn't. It's just part of a series event, of events. I guess it's one of the first events, though. It's the inkling of it. Possibly. But, um... I don't know. I hesitate to give it to him because he was just so... If he was truly awful throughout all his reign, I'd say yes. But he wasn't. He was very middle of the road throughout all his reign. And then this happened, which is why I'm hesitating. I'd be happy to go to the coin. I think we should go to the coin. It's twice in a week. The two brothers can face the coin. It's two and two weeks. Yeah, these two brothers have been interesting. They have been. Way more than I was expecting. Yeah. Do you want to flip the coin? Oh, I'll flip the coin this time. Okay, then. Right, so here we go. You should do more in the podcast than in else. I'm flicking. I'm cat. No, I dropped. You're terrible. Do it again. I'll try it again. Okay, I'm flicking. I caught it this time. Big reveal. Does he have Genet Caesar? No, he does not. Oh, he doesn't. Fair enough. That's possibly the right decision. I don't know. I I still... I'd still vouch for him. Yeah. Mm. Is it... I don't know. If Julianus can't have it... I spend than Julianus, though. But Julianus' story was amazing. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to say no, then, because the coin right. is spoken and we can't change our minds. That's true. Yeah. So, 
That is a no to Valence. Next time we will be visiting his nephew and Valentinian's son, Gratian. Gratian. Anyway, right, that's it for this week then. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. And don't forget, you can please uh, join our page on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can also download us from iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. Yes. And if you feel like you get a couple of dollars worth of entertainment from us a month, then please do donate to the podcast and join our Senate, and that will really help us continue to do what we do. And you'll get lots of goodies as well. Yes. So, until next time, I'm not waiting for my nephew. Certainly not. Let's go, boys. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Guns and you come. Wonderful to see you. Uh, hello. Lovely day, I do say. Slight far. Oh, uh, cup of tea. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, two slices of lemon. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. Just sitting here in the sun. But here, I started to read The Guardian earlier. Oh, yes. And I saw this article from a from a Roman, oh. a Roman man. A Roman man, yes. Such stereotypes. I know. They're just bestial, aren't they? They make us sound like barbarians. No. Good lord. I don't understand where it comes from. I don't, I mean, just just because I like to wear the old animal skin on a, on a weekend, yes. doesn't make me a barbarian. It helps the chaps breathe, I find. It does, yes. You can swing freely. Yes. And just because I occasionally entwine human intestines into my beard to show how ferocious I am on the battlefield. But that's, that's all part of the image. You need that in the spur of the moment. And besides, it's not a real beard. No, it's not real. It's certainly not real intestines. God, imagine. <laughs> oh, the mess. Yeah. Good Lord. Yes. And, and, I, and I've completely slimmed down my skull collection. Oh, yes, no, I see, I see. Yes, I've, I've, I'm collecting more um, anthropomorphic skulls now. Yeah. Instead of the more contemporary skulls. Oh, it's a very nice collection. Thank you. I must say. I love the, the progression. You're, you're starting to really build this picture of evolution that you've I... been pushing forward recently. Well, I've always agreed that um, the... Adaption, animal adaption has happened. There's so much evidence for it. Yes, well, it's, it's <laughs> can't be argued with. I'm sure, those Romans would though, wouldn't they? Oh, of course, yes. Oh, quick, what's coming? <laughs> Slit their throat. Hello, and welcome to Roman Empress's House Rankium. I am Jamie. Oh, it's a bit subdued today. I can redo it. Hello, and welcome to Roman Empress's House Rankium. I am Jamie. Oh, that's a bit too far the other way. Okay. Hi, and welcome to Roman Emperor's Hotel's Rankium. I am Jamie. Ooh, a bit sleazy that time. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalis <laughs> Rankium. Come, come. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of boring interest, though. Oh, God, yeah. Allotments, jam, and... Um, manhole cookies. Manhole <laughs> Which is just hilariously brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, let's face it. We, we produce and present a, a Roman history podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're <laughs> positioned. <laughs> manhole. <laughs> 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 oh.